Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 177. Today's big Bible questions are, should Christians meditate, and is meditation biblical? So, hello, friends. Happy Monday to you. I hope it was a great Lord's Day yesterday. Our church had its first in-person gathering in 14 weeks, as I told you yesterday, and it was both, uh, well, wonderful and strange. Only our leadership team and their families came so that we could practice for a fuller reopening next week. So that was around, I don't know, 35 people or so. Everybody wore masks and families sat together, but in pods of chairs spread around the sanctuary. The chairs were covered with some sort of washable vinyl covers. Everybody wore masks. Worship was pre-recorded. We didn't sing out loud. And I preached with a transparent face shield over my whole face, which caused multiple friends back home in Alabama who caught the live stream to text me during the message poking fun in a good nature way. And since I have the world's itchiest nose, uh, I was unable to scratch it during the sermon, which made for some interesting times. All of that uh, was Twilight Zone level weird. Being together with the body of Christ, however, for the first time in 14 weeks was honestly, though, quite nourishing to my soul. A wonderful experience. I've missed it a ton. I long for the days when things can move past the virus, not back to the old norm, but ahead to something better and more potent. The body of Christ being the body of Christ. The message today during church was on Jesus's letter to the church at Philadelphia, one of only two churches in Revelation that Jesus does not rebuke. That church was weak, likely in numbers and in finances, but Jesus encouraged them and spoke nothing but good about them. May the mid- pandemic and post-pandemic church be the same, faithful whether or not we are powerful in a human sense. Today's Bible readings contain something of a strange anomaly. Two of the top three longest chapters of the Bible occur during our readings today. Now, we're not going to read all of those today, uh, so they're helpfully split up over the next few days. Our readings are Deuteronomy 28, which is the third longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in the Bible. Isaiah 54 and Matthew chapter 2. Today we're talking about biblical meditation, a practice that is heartily commended in the Word of God, but not often practiced by Christians today. When most people hear the word meditation, they think of a robed individual chanting with his legs crossed and his palms upturned or his fingers doing something weird or something like that. Om. Indeed, many Eastern religions practice something that is called meditation, but the difference is that Eastern meditation is usually some sort of an attempt to empty the mind, whereas Christian meditation is an attempt to fill the mind with God's word. So let's read that Psalms passage and then talk about what meditation is all about. Psalm 119, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. How happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have commanded that your precepts be diligently kept. If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes, then I would not be ashamed when I think about all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Never abandon me. How can a young man keep his way pure? 
by keeping your word. I have sought you with all of my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Lord, may you be blessed. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal generously with your servant so that I might live, that I will keep your word. Open my eyes so that I may contemplate wondrous things from your instruction. I am a resident alien on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. I am continually overcome with longing for your judgments. You rebuke the arrogant, the ones under a curse who wander from your commands. Take insult and contempt away from me, for I have kept your decrees. Though princes sit together speaking against me, your servant will think about your statutes. Your decrees are my delight and my counselors. So a key verse that kind of guides us, enabling us to differentiate between Eastern meditation and biblical meditation is Philippians 4.8, which says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Joshua 1.8, as Joshua succeeded Moses and he was about to lead Israel into the promised land, God said to him, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So what is the key to biblical spiritual prosperity and courage and success? And I believe God tells us here in Joshua 1, the key is to meditate on God's word so that we will be careful to do what's written in it. So a foundational truth for us to know is that thinking deeply about godly things brings supernatural renewal and spiritual prosperity, transformation uh, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and psychologically. And lo- along those lines, Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Philippians 4, 8 says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right. So what are some reasons why it's important for us to meditate on the Word of God? Well, the early church fathers would have an interesting answer, at least a part of that question. They would say maggot eggs. So let me ask it this way. And yes, I did say maggot eggs. Tell me about your thought life. How pure is it? How pure is mine? People will often apologize to me when they swear around me because I'm a pastor. And they sort of act like that uh, when they swear around me, they're like, they're usually like, oh, sorry, pastor. And they act like I'm besmirched by such language. Well, you need to know, back in the day, I used to swear like a filthy sailor and took pride in my skill at it. So I don't blush when I hear words words like that. And unfortunately, sometimes I still swear in my thoughts. And sometimes, every now and then, when I am alone, some bad things have come out of my mouth before. I remember one time years ago when I was hiking down a trail, my 
feet flew out from under me and I fell to the ground like some giant meteor crashing onto the earth and I think I swore then. I remember changing a dryer hose at the pool uh, at, at a house we used to live in 20 something years ago and I swore like a sailor then. I remember trying to fix the air conditioner at the parsonage of the last church I was at about 10 years ago when um I turned off the fuses to it but it turned off it turned out there were extra fuses and so I about electrocuted myself and blew the tip of my screwdriver off because I had no idea what I was doing and that happened right in front of my eyes literally and I think I might have said a choice word then that I shouldn't have so the bottom line is my thoughts aren't always Christ honoring and they're sometimes scary um that's kind of not great. And the early church fathers, Christians, wrestled with these kind of thoughts too. Impure thoughts, bad words, wrong emotions, evil desires. They called them logismoi, false thoughts and desires that carry us into sinful places of darkness and hopelessness. In fact, John Ortberg notes that these logismoi are the infernal counterparts to scripture. Instead of equipping us for good works, they equip us for bad works. Early church Church father John Climacus called them maggot eggs that grow and thrive in the warm dung of our sinful nature. And I'm going to read that again because it's such amazing, colorful language. Maggot eggs that grow and thrive in the warm dung of our sinful nature. Well, what do we do about such things? How can we become more Christ-like? How does the image of God get more formed in us and the Word of God sink deeper and deeper into our hearts? Well, perhaps the major way is that we turn to the Holy Spirit-soaked encounters with the Word of God. Reminded of Jesus when he says in John 16, 13, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So the Word brings transformation, and when we meditate on it, it goes deeper in us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, that great German church leader during World War II, said, often we are so burdened and overwhelmed with other thoughts, images, and concerns that it may take a long time before God's word has swept all else aside and come through. This is the very reason why we begin our meditation with prayer that God may send his Holy Spirit to us through his word and reveal his word to us and enlighten us. So we're called, according to Colossians 3.16, to let the word of Christ dwell richly in us. And we are told in Ephesians 5.26 that Jesus washes us with water through his word. And taking a Bible verse and meditating on it is a wonderful way for those spiritual dynamics to happen. So how do we meditate? Well, the method I'm going to share with you is not unique to me, but I've known about it for years and it works and it's easy to remember. Let's take a passage like, I don't know, Lamentations 3, 21 through 24, which uh, 22 through 24, which says, because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish for his mercies never end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. Well, let's just take a portion of it. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. Well, we can take that little chunk of scripture, read through it one time, uh, I'm sorry, several times through, looking for key phrases and words, focusing on what we read and what it might mean in its context. Notice the words that are really important in the passage. The Lord, 
faithful love. We don't perish because his mercies never end. So read it to yourself several times. Step number two. Step one, read it. Step two, say it. Say the verse or the phrase out loud. Say it loud enough that your ears can hear it. Well, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And sometimes you just have to say the word so your ears can hear it. So step one, read it. Step two, say it. Step three, write it down. Write the verse, one verse at a time, no more than that, maybe even one part of a verse at a time. Write it exactly as it's written. Focus on just that verse or just that portion of the scripture. Write any insights and thoughts and revelations the Holy Spirit might give you on that. Underline it, emphasize parts, exclamation points, circle it, draw connections, etc. But really get deep into the word with your pen or pencil. Step number four, sing it. Now, I'm not a good singer. Maybe you're not either, or maybe you're a great one. But the fact of the matter is, God has designed music as a wonderful way to unlock our heart. And some of the things I've memorized best in my life have been musical things. Some of the verses I know best is because I learned them in terms of a song. So take your verse or phrase and sing it over and over again. Write out what you sense and perceive. When we sing, our voices function in a way that's a little bit different from other musical instruments. So final step. Step one, read it. Step two, say it. Step three, write it. Step four, sing it. Step five, pray it. Prayer is a way we come commune with God and we communicate with God. When we repeat a phrase from the word of God and believe it, we're speaking to God and that's prayer. Uh, these passages that we read, like Lamentation, we could just turn it into a thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, that because of your faithful love, we do not perish. Thank you, Lord, that your mercies never end. Or we could say, we'll turn it into a request. Lord, remind me that your mercies never end. Help me to remember that because of your faithful love, we do not perish. Well, we can ask God about his word. We can ask questions about his word, but we can most certainly give him thanks for it and most certainly ask him to help us understand it deeply. So read it, say it, write it, sing it, pray it. And that is how an easy way, there's other ways, but that's an easy way to meditate on the word of God. And I think God's word, you see it in Psalms 119, you're going to see it several times in Psalm 119, calls us to meditate on the word of God. And all throughout scripture, we see these great rewards when we do so. So let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 27, and we're going to read that and then part of chapter 28. Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, keep every command I'm giving you today. When you cross the Jordan into the land the Lord your God is giving you, set up large stones and cover them with plaster. Write all the words of this law on the stones after you cross to enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. When you have crossed the Jordan, you are to set up these stones on Mount Ebal, as I am commanding you today, and you are to cover them with plaster. Build an altar of stones there to the Lord your God. Do not use any iron tool on them. Use uncut stones to build the altar of the Lord your God, and offer burnt offerings to the Lord your God. Own it. There you are to sacrifice fellowship offerings, eat, and rejoice in the presence of the Lord your God. Write clearly all the words of this law on the plastered stones. Moses and the Levitical priests spoke to all of Israel. Be 
silent, Israel, and listen. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Obey the Lord your God and follow his commands and statutes I am giving you today. On that day, Moses commanded the people, When you have crossed the Jordan, these tribes will stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these tribes will stand on Mount Ebal to deliver the curse. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulon, Dan, and Naphtali. The Levites will proclaim in a loud voice to every Israelite, the person who makes a carved idol or cast image which is detestable to the Lord, the work of a craftsman and sets it up in secret is cursed. And all the people will reply, Amen. The one who dishonors his father or mother is cursed. And all the people will say, Amen. The one who moves his neighbor's boundary marker is cursed. And all the people will say, Amen. The one who leads a blind person astray on the road is cursed, and all the people will say, Amen. The one who denies justice to a resident alien, a fatherless child, or a widow is cursed, and all the people will say, Amen. The one who sleeps with his father's wife is cursed, for he's violated his father's marriage bed, and all the people will say, Amen. The one who has sexual intercourse with an animal is cursed, and all the people will say, Amen. The one who sleeps with his sister, whether his father's daughter or his mother's daughter, is cursed, and all the people will say, Amen. The one who sleeps with his mother in law is cursed, and all the people who say amen. And the one who secretly kills his neighbor is cursed, and all the people will say amen. The one who accepts a bribe to kill an innocent person is cursed, and all the people will say amen. Anyone who does not put the words of this law into practice is cursed, and all the people will say amen. Deuteronomy 28. Now, if you faithfully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all his commands I am giving you today, the Lord your God will put you far above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come and overtake you because you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. Your offspring will be blessed and your land's produce and the offspring of your livestock, including the young of your herds and the newborn of your flocks. Your basket and kneading bowl will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will cause the enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will march out against you from one direction but flee from you in seven directions directions. The Lord will grant you a blessing on your barns and on everything you do. He will bless you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people as he swore to you if you obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Then all the peoples of the earth will see that you bear the Lord's name and they will stand in awe of you. The Lord will make you prosper abundantly with offspring, the offspring of your livestock and your land's produce and the land the Lord swore to your ancestors to give you. The Lord will open for you his abundance storehouse, the sky, to give your land rain in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You will only move upward and never downward if you listen to the Lord your God's commands I am giving you today and are careful to follow them. Do not turn aside to the right or the left from all the things I am commanding you today and do not follow other gods to worship them. But if you do not obey the Lord your God by carefully following all his commands and statutes I am giving you today, All these curses will come and overtake you. You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and kneading bowl will be cursed. Your offspring will be cursed and your land's produce. The young of your herds and the newborn of your flocks, you will be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. Isaiah 54, verse 1. Rejoice, childless one who did not give birth. Burst into song and shout, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. And large 
the side of your tent. Let your tent curtains be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your ropes and drive your pegs deep, for you will spread out to the right and to the left, and your descendants will dispossess nations and inhabit the desolate cities. Do not be afraid, for you will not be put to shame. Don't be humiliated. You will not be disgraced, for you will forget the shame of your youth, and you will no longer remember the disgrace of your widowhood. Indeed, your husband is your maker. His name is the Lord of armies, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of the whole earth. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and wounded in spirit, a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says your God. I deserted you for a brief moment, but I will take you back with abundant compassion. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but I will have compassion on you with everlasting love, says the Lord your Redeemer. For this is like the days of Noah to me when I swore that the water of Noah would never flood the earth again. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you or rebuke you. Though the mountains move and the hills shake, my love will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says your compassionate Lord. Poor Jerusalem, storm-tossed and not comforted, I will set your stones in black mortar and lay your foundations in lapis lazuli. I will make your fortifications out of rubies, your gates out of sparkling stones, and all of your walls out of precious stones. Then all your children will be taught by the Lord. Their prosperity will be great, and you will be established on a foundation of righteousness. You will be far from oppression. You will certainly not be afraid. You will be far from terror. It will certainly not come near you. If anyone attacks you, it is not from me. Whoever attacks you will fall before you. Look, I have created the craftsman who blows on the charcoal fire and produces a weapon suitable for its task, and I have created the destroyer to cause havoc. No weapon formed against you will succeed, and you will refute any accusation raised against you in court. This This is the heritage of the Lord's servants, and their vindication is from me. This is the Lord's declaration. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief scribes and priests of the people, and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what is written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. 
Then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise man, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, because those who intended to kill the child are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and entered the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee. Then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Praise God for the gift of of Jesus. Good day, friends. Godspeed.